0: And you know, so I, I invested money into going to these events, investing in the VIP circles, and getting around these people. And to me,
1: that's an investment in myself and it's the greatest investment you can make. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now on to today's episode. Today, listeners, I'm happy to introduce the PPC expert and founder of Unbundled Attorney Dave Ahrens to the show. Unbundled Attorney is a premium lead generation service that delivers leads for those in the legal industry. Dave started his entrepreneurial career in the network marketing industry, first becoming an expert at sales and marketing. After realizing he was still trading time for dollars, he began to shift this mindset and look for ways to earn residual income and gain more freedom. Dave has been running a lead generation business for over five years and now has the time and freedom to live where he wants to and how he wants to. Today, we will dive into PPC. Dave addresses how he is using this for his business, shares some great tips on maximizing PPC to work for you, and later in the show, we then talk about his strategy to grow his network and mindset. And with that, let's welcome my friend Dave Aarons to the show. How you doing, Dave?
0: Pretty good, Chris. Good to reconnect with you, man,
1: and looking forward to diving in this interview. And you're calling in from Buenos Aires today, is that correct?
0: Yeah, Buenos Aires, Argentina. We got a Apartment, we've been staying here for the past month in uh, the Palermo region. And uh, in about a week here, we're going to be going to various different cities in Argentina. We're going to check out Guazú, Paloche, Mendoza, and then working our way over to Santiago for a while.
1: So I've heard a lot of great things about Buenos Aires and Argentina, but I've never been there. And you mentioned that it is one of your favorite places now. So let's talk a little bit about the city. What do you like about it so much?
0: Yeah, it's a really... I've been in a lot of places in South America, and for me personally, I think Buenos Aires is one of the most livable cities. Just in the sense, especially when you're in Palermo, Soho, or Hollywood, or maybe even Recoleta, there's just so many good bars, restaurants, uh, cultural events going on all the time. Um, it's not so driven by beach life. You know, they really just don't even have a beach here, even though it's on the water. So if you're looking for, you know to hang out on the beach all day, then, you know, Brazil, Uruguay, you know, other places like that have great beaches, but it does have, um, a, a really metropolitan feel. Um, the, the, the Argentinian lifestyle is very much kind of a later late night kind of lifestyle. So, you know, a lot of restaurants don't even open till seven, eight o'clock at night. And, you know, they'll, they'll you know, you you can go to dinner at nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and then, you know, everything, the restaurants close down at like 12 or 1, and that's when the clubs open up. And so it's similar in the sense to Barcelona or some other European cities where everything's just kind of done later in the evening. And, and one of the things I like about it is, you know, Buenos Aires is five hours ahead of the United States. And so we can experience the nightlife, go out, have a good time, you know, do the restaurants, even go out to the clubs if we want to until, you know, 4, 5, 6 in the morning, crash out, wake up at, you know, 10, 11, 12. And and then we get on the phones at 12 or 1, and that's, you know, 7 a.m., 8 a.m. Pacific Coast. And so we can very much, you know, immerse ourselves into this culture. And because, you know, our business is United States-based, it allows us to, you know, still be, you know, right on schedule while experiencing the full, uh, the full nightlife here. So that's been really cool.
1: Tell us a little bit about the difference in Argentinian culture between other Latin American countries that you've lived in. I mean the only place
0: so I've been to Colombia, Bolivia, and Brazil, and so this is my first time to Argentina mm-hmm. when I was in Colombia, um, it definitely had a feel that things were you know certainly brand new as far as like the startup and the in the and the you know people working in cafes and coffee shops and Co spaces everything was much you know kind of newer not well established. But I also felt at times a little unsafe if in Colombia and people were kind of looking at you sometimes like, who are you? Why are you here? Like, not that, that, and Colombia is a really fun city. I recommend everyone go there. It's not to the point where it's something that should prohibit you from going there, but it just had a very different feel. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I come to Buenos Aires, um, I don't feel that way at all. And that might be because I'm in Paramo or Recoleta. Like, I I never feel in any way unsafe in the streets. I think people – it's a very international city in that you have people coming here from all different parts of South America, from Germany, from Israel, from all over the world coming in. So in a sense, it's kind of like a San Francisco of the United States in that you have a blending of so many different cultures, um, so many different skin types. I mean dark, light skin, blonde, uh, people speaking Spanish, you know, so, some Portuguese, German. I mean so it's really just a, a melting pot of everything that Latin culture – and then you have you know, Europeans coming and visiting, but it's just a blend of all the Latin cultures. We've hung out, we've met people from Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil, and you know, had a good time with all of them. And they're all here because they want to be you know, uh, just enjoying the city. So in that sense, it's almost like you get you know, a piece of everything when you're here in a city that's just you know, a, a lot of fun. So that's been really cool just to, to be able to experience all the different cultures in one city.
1: And how's the food down there?
0: Yeah, if you like uh, if you like steak, if you like meat, uh, mm-hmm. there's nowhere better um, for a parisia. You know, they call Parisia, so they, they cook you know their their steaks on basically an open fire. Mm-hmm. So you know, in fact, we have a parisia on our patio. So we we built a fire with you know a bed of coals underneath it, and then the fire gradually heats up the coals, and then when the fire dies down, the coals are nice and hot, and then you put your meat on top of that with your verduras and your chorizo and everything right on top of that. And uh, it just puts a lot of flavor in. They use a lot of salt. And so uh, if you're into meat, it's a great spot. Um, it, we, we found a lot of great places to go.
1: What would you average for the typical digital nomad, their monthly expenses in Buenos Aires? You know, it's less than the United States or Canada, uh-huh.
0: um, but it's more than we expected Um you know, I'm I'm in an Airbnb rented short term, and it's a, it's like a penthouse in the middle of Palermo, and we're paying two thousand bucks for a you know a large two bedroom with a huge living room and so forth and a giant wraparound patio. So it's it's cheap. You know, this place would be probably thirty five hundred. You know, in maybe like any metropolitan U.S. city, so it's cheaper. But you know, one of the things about Argentina is they've got runaway inflation. You know, they've gone from I think it was two Argentine pesos to one, maybe you know, maybe five years ago, I don't know actually the, the actual numbers, but now it's fifteen or sixteen to one. And a number of different loca- you know, different times, we've seen restaurants having to update their pricing on their menus while we're sitting there because things are changing so fast and and, and inflation is running away so fast. So the, the the restaurants and the companies are adjusting and adapting, um, and so the prices are you know are higher, you know. And so when we go out for drinks, it's you know five dollars a beer. You know, uh, or a cocktail is like six, seven, eight. So it's not, it's not a huge savings. Um, it, there's a savings there. But, but again, that's if you want to be in the, main, the best areas. If you want to be in other areas and save money, then you can do that. Um, and there's a lot of other places, parts of Buenos Aires, you can live where you don't have that same price crunch. But um, here, it's, it's not a whole lot less than the than United States, relative to, say, you know, I was saving a lot of money in Brazil, Florianopolis, places we were there, certainly in Colombia, Mexico. I mean, we were living for maybe one third or one quarter of what we would live in the United States, whereas here it's probably only about maybe twenty to twenty five percent less.
1: Sounds like an amazing place. All right, Dave, let's jump into you as an entrepreneur. And I want to start out getting to know you a little bit more, your background as an entrepreneur and how you became the the founder of Empowered Legal.
0: You know, I'm originally Canadian. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia. Spent uh, a number of years working as a sales agent for a company that offered a legal service plan, just basically a membership that people could buy to be able to get, you know, a free consultation or a discounted rate with a lawyer. So um, I was really lucky in that sense because I was able to train uh, in a business under a great mentor who was uh, just a a fantastic salesperson, but also a great leadership mentor. Was very committed to personal development, read a lot of really good books, and and, and really studied under him. You know, reading, you know, getting exposed to like spiritual works and then also, you know, a lot of great sales trainers, personal development gurus like Jim Rohn, sales like Jim, Brian Tracy, um, you know, also on the spiritual side, you know, Neil Donna Walsh, Eckhart Tolle, Byron Katie. So, you know, just it, it was a really great experience working under him. Um, but eventually I got to the point where, you know, I was working seven to seven Monday through Friday and then sometimes on the weekends to catch up with all the leads that were being generated. And uh, in order to, you know, make ends meet and just work as a sales agent. And, you know, there was a couple different events that happened. Number one was they just didn't have leads available for me anymore. So I had to basically generate my own leads of people that, you know, these would be prospects that I would call to enroll into the legal access plan membership. So that turned out to be a really fortuitous event because it forced me to get a website up and start learning Google AdWords and pay-per-click um which now is one of you know my master skills because I've been doing it for over a decade now mm. um but at the same time I got really tired of wh- what you would call trading time for money which basically means it's just that I was on the phone all day and if I didn't get on the phone and make a sale I wasn't making any money and you know I came to realize you know I had a moment where I was looking out the window just you know I have a real passion for golf okay. and competitive golf and just traveling and playing And just it was just a beautiful day. I'm listening to someone talk on the phone. That's just going, you know, he's not paying me any child support. That guy ain't shit. And I'm just and I'm listening to this on the phone. I'm looking at my dream outside. And it's just I came to the realization that I just can't keep doing this anymore. And so I started thinking about it was around that time I was reading the four hour work week and I started thinking about how can I generate, you know, the same amount of income on a residual basis that I'm currently earning in my job. In other words, how can I work part time on a side business to get you know, basically at the time it was like two or three thousand dollars a month and replace my full time job on the phone. And once I made that decision, immediately I started coming up with ideas, realized that I could start redirecting some of the leads that I was selling the service directly to attorneys and not having to have someone in between that was selling them the service and then sending it to a lawyer. We could just, you know, bring the lead directly to that attorney as long as the attorney knew how to call them and train them. And so that was kind of the the genesis idea that led to you know our current company, unbundled attorney, which is a lead generation company specifically for lawyers that offer you know unbundled services, more affordable services. Um, but it was that it was that shift in realizing you know what like you know I, I, I really want to replace this income, I want to get residual so I can pursue my dream, play golf, travel, and just have a complete lifestyle. And once I made that decision, I mean I was you know, I was I would work seven to seven. And then from and then, from that point on, for three to five hours in the evenings, I would be working on my website, work on my AdWords campaign, and do whatever it took until I got to the point where I could replace my income and you know once from the point I made that decision to the point where I was making roughly the same amount of money was probably about um you know six to nine months or so.
1: I have a couple questions. First off, I imagine there was quite a bit of an overlap from one business to the other. so I'm guessing you had quite a few contacts in the legal world that would be a good start for your new business, correct.
0: To a certain degree, I mean, I think it was more that I just knew what the client needed as far as a more affordable service, and you know, I knew what the attorney needed and what they needed to be educated about in order to to effectively convert that lead into a paying client. Mm -hmm. But more more to the point, I think the skills that were learned, you know, under my mentor who I still work with today in business um, were just critical to be able to run my own company. Uh, A number of those being, you know, how to build. A sales system, you know, a sales and conversion system. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to be able to, you know, have a really great product, but if no one knows what it is, uh, then no one's going to be enrolling and buying your service. So, you know, we had to get on the phone and cold call attorneys and offer them our services. And so, you know, learning how to write scripts, how to be a professional sales agent on the phone, in the sense that you're constantly, you know, working on your script, then calling. Reading your script, and then whenever you're running into questions, you know having the discipline to take that question, come up with a response. So the next time you get on the phone, you've got a better response, and you keep refining and refining and refining until the point where we now have a really solid primary script, and then all of our questions and answers refined to the point where you know I can bring a new sales agent on in the company. You know, relatively speaking, we're still working on refining the final pieces, but essentially. They can just, you know, read from scripting, and so anytime they get a question, or response, we've got, you know, a response that's been, you know, curated over many, 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 many calls. That's going to be, you know, a perfect, you know, response to that. So, being able to build a really great sales system and oversee that division was really key, and just being able to learn how to communicate on the phone, use tonalities, and and uh, and just you know come across as a professional and, and relate to attorneys in a professional manner was really key. And then, of course, um, the knowledge that I acquired. Uh, working for that company, generating my own leads um, became pretty critical, and, and I've, I've expanded on that skill over the past, you know, five years of you know running our, my own companies, um, which has been, of course, pivotal for you know our now our business model of lead generation for attorneys, being able to generate those leads, do it at a at a at a cost that's you know going to be working with you know a certain amount of margin. So that's been key as well.
1: How long ago did you start this? Was it five years ago, Dave?
0: Yeah. So I went out. I started my own company. Originally, it was called Family Legal Help in 2011. I kind of wound up my relationship with uh, the company I was selling for. I did a couple months for them to kind of help them make the transition. You know, I think that's one thing that's 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 really important. Is you know a lot of people you know see the opportunity to become an entrepreneur and they just like leave the company you know without any notice. But you know I felt it was really valuable to to stay for a month or two and continue working for them, even though I was making more money in my business by that point residually you know, then for that company, but I stayed there and, and continued working so they could make the transition and replace me. And then once that was complete, then I started, you know, Family Legal Help. Uh, we ran that for uh, about three and a half, four years until uh, January of 2017. I partnered with our CTO who built, you know, our um, SaaS application, our algorithms and everything that makes our system and our business run now uh, and then launched Unbundled Attorney in January of 2015.
1: So, Dave, I know you're an expert in PPC and you've been doing it for a a long time. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of PPC over the past 5, 10 years or so? And then some of the things you've learned throughout that time to how it fits into your business today. The one thing about uh, pay-per-click that I've noticed is there really isn't,
0: um, everything evolves, you know, day by day, week by week. And unless you're connected to the appropriate channels, you really have to consistently be learning on your own. What are the new systems? What are the best practices? And so it's really important to get connected. If you're going to be running a pay-per-click campaign, connected to, you know, like the Google AdWords, you know, syndicate blog, connected to other professionals, going to conferences in search marketing because the technology is constantly changing. The way Google structures the ads, where they place the ads. I mean, you know, one of the most recent changes is they had, most people remember, they used to have, you know, Ads going running down the right-hand side of the Google search results, and now they've eliminated that. Added more ads in in, in you know in the straight line down. Now we have got four ads instead of three, and and then they've changed the formatting of the ads because that's so. All, but all these things, you have to just be in the know of what's going on, and and staying on top of that has been a real challenge. But what I've also noticed at the same time is, you know, even though I've been doing this for you know ten years, and and think of you know certainly we've got a certain amount of degree of mastering the skill. It doesn't. It, it. A lot of people think, well, if I don't, you know, understand pay per click, you know, fully, then I can't get into the space. Well, there's so many people that have no idea what they're doing on pay per click. Mm-hmm. And so, if with literally like 50 to 100 hours of like actual invested time, like you could read, for example, Brad Geddes' book, Advanced Google AdWords, and you know, he's he's come out with a new edition every two or three years. It's a thick book. Um, but you know, I sat down when I needed to build my own ad campaign, I sat down with the first edition of that book back in, you know, 2009, 2010, and just read it cover to cover in like two days and like use the print build the original campaigns. Now they our campaigns and our structure and, and the way we do things, you know, at scale now we've got something like, you know, 1200, you know, 1, 13, 1400 campaigns just for, just for our legal side, just in Google alone, not counting Bing. So, you know, we're doing everything at scale now to cover you know, hundreds of cities throughout the United States, and then soon to be Canada. So we're managing things at scale, but the original foundations and the fundamentals are in that book. But mm-hmm. the, the reality is, most people, oh well, I want to get some leads going, so I'm just going to like, you know, throw some ads on, you know, pay per click, you know, bid it at this rate, throw throw a bunch of keywords in one ad group, and and see how it goes, and then and then they they spend a whole lot of money on Google AdWords, and they get, and, it didn't, and they and they don't see a return, and they say, oh well, that, well, that doesn't work, and they move on to something else. Right, right? and so. Pay per click is—it's not easy. It, it can be expensive you know, if you don't know what you're doing. But with just you know a certain degree of time, if you it, to invest into learning the platform, you know by reading a book like Google, Advanced Google AdWords or following Perry Marshall's uh, blog or you know taking a course or something like that in pay per click, um, these skills are learnable, and you, you'd be surprised—you know—even in really competitive markets. I mean, the legal industry, you know, lawyers have budgets of thousands and thousands and thousands, thousands of dollars a month. And you know these companies that we compete with, tens and tens of thousands of dollars a month. We spend over a hundred thousand a month in AdWords. They still are not implementing some of the most basic and most core best practices in pay-per-click. And so, you know, while it takes some time to learn how to do it properly, I think you know for those that you know s- you know have people that would be searching for your product, go you know, on Google. You <sighs> know, if you have a search-driven market that they would be looking for, you know, your kind of service, a plumber, a a a you know, email marketing company or a service, or people looking for a lawyer or anything like that, where people would search you out on Google and you need to be positioned there. Um, there's there's still a tremendous amount of opportunity in pay per click if you're willing just to invest, you know, a reasonable amount of time to learn the platform, just like it would take with Facebook ads or you know any other advertising platform as well.
1: Are the only platforms that you are using are Google and Bing for search? Yes, uh,
0: because if you go. It's really important that each lead we deliver has a a certain degree, you know, is a, a certain quality level. Mm-hmm. And what I found with third party search engine companies, you end up with you know a lot of spam and robot text you know, inquiries. And you, there's ways to block that, but in order to ensure that you're getting quality traffic, um, you're you only work. I, I only personally work with Google and their search partners, and then on Bing just Bing and Yahoo. Um, if you start to get into the third party syndicates, even on Bing, for example. You get kind of a lot of junk traffic and so forth. And you know, from our business standpoint, some some companies, you know, they wouldn't mind getting junk traffic as long as it's related to their business. But you know, when we're when we have a you know a deliverable that you know that lawyers are paying for a specific rate, um, and it's not it's not cheap. I mean, these are premium leads. Um, then we have to make sure that the source of our traffic is is a quality source, and that's one of the main determinants of quality over time is. You know, a lot of people think it's, you know, do you have questions in your form to qualify your traffic? And that's helpful to a certain degree, but really it's the source of the traffic and making sure that that's
1: consistent. Let's talk Google versus Bing. I think there's a lot of people that probably don't even know what Bing is. So can we address that a little bit and why you decided to use Bing and Yahoo and how they compare in your business from one another? Yeah, I mean, you you just, if you're going to be driving
0: search traffic, uh, it's a little it takes a little bit more time to deal with bing because they don't have the same l- degree of functionality that google has like they you, you can't target counties there's just there's just a number of things the way they do their targeting is just really cumbersome and challenging and there's just a lot of things that make you just kind of go god anyway we are, we're always saying damn it bing you know i'm using <laughs> i'm not using the f word i'm not using uh-huh. the f word purposely there but like <laughs> you can insert it there and be like f and bing man like all day there's always issues of it just take things a little bit longer, but you know what? Bing Yahoo is probably 20% uh, of the of the search traffic online right now. I mean, when okay. I look at our you know our lead volume of what we get from Google versus Bing and Yahoo, and so you know, and there are features where you can basically just take what you're doing in Google and import it over to Bing. Um, I would not bid the same on Bing versus the way you, you Bing bang on Google. Um, otherwise, you're just gonna be spending way more than you need to. Bing's happy to spend whatever you will you'll pay per click, but you you know what we found is you can get pretty much pretty close to the same amount of traffic you know by bidding a little by bidding significantly less than Google as far as you know if I take one you know one keyword for example that's bidding at two dollars I'm getting maybe let's say 100 per impressions I could drop that to a dollar twenty in Bing and it's only going to drop to maybe 80 so you know you you have to do some you know ROI profit calculations where you look at okay if I increase it and I get this much more traffic. Then is it worth spending the extra money, or do you st- does your advertising cost get too high, where your profit margin starts to go down? And so there's you know equations you can develop in spreadsheet to just do some basic calculations on that. But you know, so you usually will spend a little bit less, you know, probably about thirty percent less in Bing on the actual keyword prices. But it's, it's it's good traffic. It's it's less. It's a little bit more cumbersome, but you know, it's good quality traffic. You know, these people are you know you know quality leads. It just takes a little bit more of a more management to make it work.
1: I don't know the answer to this, Dave, but maybe you can answer it. So you said Bing's about twenty percent of the search traffic these days.
0: I mean, when I look at the volume of leads that we generate each month, uh-huh. that's that's roughly what we see. Okay. Uh, Bing might say that they're more. Bing and Yahoo might say they're more than that from a market share standpoint. You know, in their on their you know landing page or whatever. But I would say we probably you know eighty percent of our leads are coming from Google. Maybe you know twenty percent are Bing and Yahoo combined.
1: Okay. And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'm kind of curious on how many people still use Bing?
0: You know, a lot of people just don't change their search provider from Bing to something else. Gotcha. And so, you know, that's that's a lot of people that are, you know, sl- usually a little less tech savvy. Um, so that's Bing search, mm-hmm. which is, again, the default search provider for most PCs. Um, and if you ever install like a Skype product or something like that, it's going to try to get you to you know, make your default homepage Bing and use it as their default search provider. So anything, any Microsoft product is going to push people towards using Bing as their search provider. And then also Yahoo. So anyone that searches on Yahoo, which is a lot of people still have Yahoo email addresses and and use that as their primary search tool. um, That's where you're going to see, that's where those ads are going to be served. And you also have MSN and some other partners as well, but those are the primary two.
1: Dave, let's talk a little bit about leadership and company culture. I know this is important to you in your business and creating a type of culture that is important for you and for your team in order to be on the same page. Let me ask you this. How do you implement creating a good company culture within your business on a yearly, monthly, or even daily basis?
0: You know, our, I think it has a lot to do with just quality communication with, and I also work with people that I really want to work with and I care about. Mm-hmm. And I think each of us that work in our company share some very specific principles and, and ways in which we want to live. I think the first and foremost is that our entire team is distributed, uh, meaning that they're, you know, they're working from various different places all over the world mm-hmm. and want to have the ability to work and travel. Well, just like you know, your audience, they want to have that capacity and, and I want to be able to create that opportunity. And so, you know, that's certainly one thing is having, you know, location freedom and be able to have, you know, to basically build their business around their their lifestyle rather than having to build their lifestyle around their business. You know, the, the, t- the typical, you know, cubicle type of job, I and mean, that's just never really appealed to me and it doesn't appeal to the people we work with. And you know, like my business partner, one of the things he loves to do is live, you know, live on the beaches of Nica, Nicaragua, mm-hmm. and surf, surf half the day, get a morning surf session, then work for a few hours, and then get another surf session, and then work into the evening. You know, I like to, you know, travel the world quite a bit, at least the most, most, you know, last two three years, and and work from various different cultures because I like to experience, you know, different kinds of cities and, and and go to go other places, and also like to play golf wherever I'm at, and 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 go fishing and so forth. So. And then Ray, you know, our marketing, one of our marketing directors, he loves the Southeast Asia and spends a lot of time in Thailand. He trains Muay Thai and uh, Jiu Jitsu, And so, you know, he's able to pursue his passions and do everything he likes and then, you know, build his work around that. So that's really important to us um, as far as, you know, creating a, a team where we just, you know, we really work well together. I think one of the most important things is to constantly be clearing the air and resolving Anything that comes up ever between us, and so we have a, you know, we work from a framework of, of trust, integrity, but also, you know, we we do, you know, this is like one of the processes we do, you know, that, you know, I we do what we call uh, appreciation withhold sessions, where we'll sit down in a room and circle up and just say, okay, we'll start with a few things that we appreciate about each other. You know, hey man, when you know one of the things I really appreciate about you is that when we're in this city, you know, you research all the cool things and type of events we can go to. You check out you know, all the different, you know, places we can rent bikes and just, you come out with all these really great events and things we can do. And, and also you cook and do these things like, so I just want to share. I really appreciate it about you. And, you know, and then, so we'll, we'll kind of go around and just express some appreciation, build some love. And then, and then we share withholds, you know, withholds might be something like, Hey man, you know, you know, I've noticed when you were, you know, cooking food the other day, you know, you really didn't even, you know, take into consideration that I might be hungry. You didn't, you didn't, you know, drop, you know, explain that to me. And, and you've done that a number of times. And I just feel like, I don't really feel like you're considering me when you do that. And I just want to share that with you. And within that framework, the response is, you know, thank you for sharing that. And there's no rebuttal response uh, at that point. There's no discussion. It's just you invite the withhold and you share it. So just things like that where we can really keep that open space um, and make sure that whenever we're relating to someone, because if you have resentments or bitterness or anything that builds up, um, it starts to kind of cloud. It's like a it's like a pane of glass Mm -hmm. that's between you and that person. And as you get more bitterness and resentments, it's just like you get all these like this dirt on the glass, and you just look at them through that. Mm-hmm. And then you notice like small things like, "Hey, man, like he didn't clean up this." All of a sudden, you're getting really upset at him, and and so like things that seem to be really small become much bigger, and you might have a, a much higher reaction or response because the small things that were nibbling at you that you never just dealt with never got cleared out, and so small things start to become bigger than they should, you know? So that's something we really implement a lot is just really keeping that space clear, uh, communicating well, and, um, you know, and, just, and I think that's been really key is that, you know, maintains that, you know, that real strong connection and that, and that, that feeling of friendship and, and camaraderie, you know, between each other.
1: How often are you having those sessions, Dave?
0: You know, it kind of varies. It depends, you know, if I'm working really closely, like right now, I'm living with uh, one of one of our, our V.P. of Sales, Graham, and so we're living together and working together. And so, you know, we we had a appreciation with Paul and dropped in, uh, you know, just a, you know a couple weeks ago. And so, and we might do another one later this month. So it might be once or twice a month. Um, if I'm not working as closely with someone, you know, I haven't had that with with, with Ray, one of our marketing directors, in probably a few months. Just because you know we're just working away, we touch base, and usually it's just you know kind of an update on how you're doing. How's he doing with his real estate investing stuff? And, and we'll just talk, you know, just kind of more more just relationship stuff, and what are we going to get done, and that kind of thing. And it doesn't we don't get into the nitty gritty because we're not in close proximity. So it really just depends on, you know, what how how deep and how closely we're relating to each other, and then things will come up, and then usually one of us will say, hey, you know. Would you mind if we do an appreciation withhold session? Because usually we'll notice we've got something that's bothering us mm-hmm. or something else's or we or you know, he said he comes to me because something's been bothering him. Or, you know, it's just we might just say, Hey, you know, it's been a long time since so we've done this. So I, I don't have like a regimented schedule. That's not you know, really the way we do things. You don't have, you know, a values thing painted on our wall or like monthly meetings where we all circle up and such. It just it really, really just kind of feel into each other. Mm-hmm. And, 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 know, and we just kind of invite if it hasn't been a while we'll just do one and just kind of lay things out and, and clear the space um, or if any, any one of us is bothered by anything or has been feeling some bitterness or resentment about anything we've done for whatever reason then they just say hey man would it be cool if we do an appreciation withhold session we'll just drop in and share so um, that's something that's really helped uh, but it's really it's more of an organic uh,
1: response to each other where did you learn about this or come up with this
0: yeah, so I have a, a really amazing business coach. His name is Brian Bayer, and he was the founder of the Authentic Man Program, which he ran uh, a number of years ago. This is probably about, you know, five six years ago. And then he also, you know, that that evolved into the Authentic Relating Community, um, offering circling and so forth. So, you know, he's been, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, you know, business coach and mentor for quite some time uh, on various different stuff and we'll work on business things. So he was the one that you know brought that that. Uh, you know, that structure framework into our business, Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: because I wanted to make sure we had, you know, a good, a good culture of authenticity and integrity and, and trust. And so that was, you know, something that he invited brought into the space. And, and since then we've, you know, we've gone to Boulder and, and does some of his circling summits, Mm -hmm. you know, like actually gone in and done circling, which is a a technique that he talks about. So, and that's, you know, deeply dropping in with each each person and just sharing and so forth. So, um, these are this type of authentic relating, uh, tactics that, you know, I find to be really uh, impactful in our company.
1: Okay. One more thing before we'll wrap up, Dave, I know you're big into going to seminars and traveling around the world to meet your mentors and heroes. I always see pictures of you with Gary Vee or Tim Ferriss or Neil Donald Walsh. I want to ask you, what's your philosophy behind going to all these seminars and meeting all these people?
0: Yeah, this comes from, uh, you know, originally from Jim Rohn. You know, he's, uh, he was a great mentor of mine that I never got to, you know, personally meet, unfortunately, before he passed away. But, uh, you know, I've been following his work, Exceptional Living, Audiobook, Challenge to Succeed, Cultivating unshakable Character. I mean, these are just classic, you know, audiobooks that... You know, I always have in my tool bank that I go to anytime I want to work on my leadership skills, or I feel like a little bit off with my own integrity, or whatever it may be. And it's, so he's just laid out a you know beautiful framework, goal setting, and and just from a personal development side has been a great influence on me. And one of the things he talks about is the empower is the importance of the power of associations and who you relate with. You know, everyone says the old adage is you become the five people surround yourself with most. And so there's there's a couple different things you can do in relation to that. Uh, most people, what they think of when they think of power of associations, you become the five people around it. You, you, you become the five people you surround yourself with, is they immediately think of, okay, well, you know, who's toxic in my life? You know, who are those people that kind of bring me down, that complain? If I tell them, there's something to do, do, if I tell them I'm going to do something, maybe they cut me down or make fun of me, you know, so, or maybe they have habits that you don't want to be a part of. Like maybe they smoke weed or, or that, you know, take away from the type of person you want to become. Right. And so you might go through one of two things. Either you might um, limit that association, which means, you know, some people you can spend, you know, a month with, but you can't spend a week with, you know, excuse me, you can, can spend a week with them, but you can't spend a month. Some people you can spend a day, but you can't spend a week. Some people you can spend an hour, but you can't spend a full day. So you might limit that down to the point, And sometimes that can be family where you just spend a little bit more, t- less time with certain people that are toxic. Usually family you're kind of stuck with, but when it comes to certain friends and certain people, you might spend a little less time with them. And then a more extreme case is you might implement disassociation, which means you just end that relationship altogether. So that's going the direction of you know eliminating people in your life that, that hold you down or hold you back and also are making you become something that is not your highest self. But in the other direction, which I think a lot of people maybe miss or don't weigh the importance of enough, is expanded associations. And so it's how do I get around people that are playing the game at a level that's one, two, three, or even 10 levels higher than I am. And usually if you're trying to get into a space around people that are achieving way more than you, that's not always easy because Mm -hmm. you're not someone necessarily that they want to learn from. Like You're going into the space trying to learn something from them because they're at another level. And so in order to, to get around people that are achieving at a higher level than you, such as a Tim Ferriss or Gary Vaynerchuk. And not to say that you know, we're not you know, achieving at any of these levels, but they have things that I really want to learn. I want to model. And so I want to get around these people because I feel like you know, being around them makes me want to be even more of myself. And that's definitely my experience when I am around them is if you know, they hold me to a higher standard and realize, man, like I thought I was playing this game. We were killing it. You know, Man, like, we need to get to the next level. He's like, you, do, you guys are doing that revenue? like Man, you need to get to here. I mean that's you, know, you guys are playing small. What are you doing? So I, I want to have people in my life that hold me to that level of accountability and, and hold me to a higher standard. And so in order to do that, you know, one of the strategies I implemented this year is I started figuring out, okay, how can I get around these people? Well, one of the way one of the ways you can do that is you can go to conferences and events that they're gonna be at and sometimes even invest in the VIP, which oftentimes is just, you know, hanging out in the lounge with the speakers or going out to extra VIP events. And you know so I, I invested money into how do I, you know into going to these events, investing in the VIP circles, and getting around these people. And to me, that's an investment in myself, and it's the greatest investment you can make. And so um, you know, I've been very strategic and thinking about and spending time in my journal, you know thinking about how can I get around? Who are the people I want to get around with most that are going to hold me to that next level, And then how can I get around them? Where are they? And also, third, How can I add value to their lives? How can I bring them something? You know, like I would never hit up Tim and be like, "Hey, man, I want to be on your podcast," but I might be able to, like, you know, meet him in person and give him some ideas or give him some feedback or make some suggestions of ways he can improve his blog or add value to his to his events, maybe review his book. I mean, just think about ways in which you can add value to them, and then they then you get on their radar, you know, and then then that you know opportunities can open up from there. So, that's been something that I've, you know, been putting a lot of time and, and thought into. Because uh, I know it just has that level of an impact on your life.
1: Obviously, you've thought a lot about this. So I'm curious. I actually have a target avatar of the type of individual that I want to surround myself with or the five individuals I want to spend most of my time with. So I'm curious, what would be your perfect avatar of the five individuals that you surround yourself with most?
0: Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the actual people. Yeah. Yeah, I what are the actual
1: your, people? Okay, what are their traits, or if you want to share their names too, that's okay.
0: Well, I mean, some of the people I I wanted to get I got around this year was was Gary Vaynerchuk because I like his his hustle and the way he, he he's fully and authentically himself. A lot of people you know may like or dislike him, but you know he 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 really works off, works hard and crushes it. And he's inspired me a lot in the social media realm to really take you know take hold of that realm and and take advantage of it and put time into it. Um, Tim Ferriss is someone that inspired me way back from when I, you know, was reading Four Hour Workweek. So I've gotten I've gotten around him as much as I can and followed his work and so forth. Um, the third would be, uh, Kim Kimball Musk was someone I had a chance to meet who was Elon's brother. Um, Kimball, uh, Kimball Musk is really impressive to me because he has built a really successful business in the restaurant business. I mean, this is a guy that was on the board of PayPal, you know, Zip2, and has been involved in Tesla as well, but you know, he's gone the direction of impacting the world in a way that he's very passionate about, which is through food and bringing the farmers and organic culture and opening restaurants that you know source their food all from local ingredients. And then also, he takes a percentage of all their profits and invests it into an organization called Learning Gardens, which basically creates organic um, farms in schools where kids can learn how to grow food organically and you know how to you know plant food, plant, plant and grow their own food. I mean, so. He's he's transitioned into building a business that also makes a difference. What I would refer to as a for purpose business, where the business model itself has a a an embedded giving into built into the model, similar to the way like a tom shoes. Mm-hmm. Anyone who buys toms probably knows when you buy a pair of toms, they give a pair of shoes away to, you know, a an individual need in a in a third world country. And so that's a really cool business model. And so I wanted to get around that person and and learn more about you know how he built that into his model, what he stands for. So I paid some good money to go to a conference and then a VIP session to to actually meet with him in person and spend an hour and a half and and just run ideas by him on on way we can do that in in our own company. And you know there's a few other people uh, I've spent some time with Tony Robbins, which was cool, um, going to him at his events and and also just talking to him. And also on the spiritual side, I've 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 done some deep dives with uh, Neil Donald Walsh who wrote Conversations with God. I've met Byron Katie. Uh, I definitely dive deeply into his work and then I'm also um, exploring some work of Mayan shamanism and going you know, a little bit deeper into the spiritual realm so there's different characteristics you know, they, they all add different flavors but I think these are all the different you know, pieces that you know, make you know, myself you know, the greatest version of myself that I want to be both for my family, spiritually, from a business perspective and from a contribution perspective as far as the impact that we can have as well.
1: Boom. That's a podcast with Dave Aarons. Thanks for coming on the show, man.
0: Yeah, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on.
1: Dave, if the listeners want to reach out to you and get a hold of you, where's the best place they can do that at? Yeah, man, I, I thought about
0: this before I got on the show. I, I don't really use social media. I'm on Facebook. If you search in Dave Ahrens, A-A-R-O-N-S, uh, I think my Twitter handle is Dave underscore Aarons, um, And so you can tweet at me and I think I might get the email notification, but... Um, I'm tough to reach, and that's kind of by design. You know, I sure. like, uh, I like privacy it. and anonymity, but uh, if you want to try to reach out to me, try me on Twitter or Facebook, or you know, just come to unbundledattorney.com and, and contact us directly from there, and I'm sure someone will get, it, get the message to me. Excellent.
1: Dave, thank you so much again for coming on the show, buddy. I really appreciate your time and you sharing all of your wisdom with the audience. It means a lot. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Once again, we'll see you all on the next episode, and goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops masterminds advisors and fun weekend social events be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible these events will fill up fast for those of you that are interested and have some questions be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world